Hello and welcome to CMO Convo, the podcast from CMO Alliance. It's all about starting in-depth conversations with top-level marketers and CMOs from around the world. Today, I'm speaking to Christy Radiki, CMO of Sharjah's PPC, on the value of risks in both your career as a CMO and in marketing strategies, and how you get internal stakeholders on board with those bold moves. Hi, Christy. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Nice to talk to you. I'm I'm very happy for you to be here. I'm quite excited about this episode. Um, to get started, for the people who haven't heard of you, um, maybe tell us a bit about uh, your current CMO role and how you're approaching it. Sure. Um, I'm fairly new to this role. I started at Chargers in August of uh, of last year of 2020. Um, it's an interesting company. It's been around for 150 years. Uh, my particular division has never had a central marketing role. It's never had a CMO. Uh, and so, although it's a global company with 38 offices, uh, a lot of the marketing was handled regionally. And uh, I was hired to sort of um, streamline that process, bring together a, more of a marketing culture and um, and sort of unite all of those 38 offices uh, behind one marketing message. So it's an interesting uh, task. I've never been the first CMO at any company. I'll bet it sounds like there'd be a lot of established practices to get people to work beyond, get them used to this new kind of way of working with a CMO and with a centralized marketing department. Definitely. And I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, they're sort of waiting to see what happens. And if we can have a couple wins, uh, I think people will understand the power of, you know, one central message, even though every region is different. Everybody knows that. And, and we need to speak in, in the voice of the region. Um, but that message, that main core message uh, and brand identity needs to come through in a consistent way. So, so you mentioned you've never been the first CMO at a company before. Um, would you consider taking this role as a risk? Because that is what we're here to talk about today, is risk-taking in the CMO role. Oh, it's definitely a risk. Probably one of my biggest career risks uh, that I've taken because there was no blueprint. And this is a, you know, it's a substantial company. We have about 2,000 employees and, like I said, 38 offices around the world. So it's quite daunting to think about um, bringing a marketing culture to a company that that really wasn't focused on that, um, especially in the apparel business in a pandemic where <laughs> that's a business that got hit uh, pretty hard. So it's it's a very interesting, uh, risky job to take. But I, I like risk. Uh, that keeps me uh, going every day. And so I'm, I'm always up for that. So it's, is risk taking something that you really take as like a philosophy when, it, when you approach marketing, when you approach the CMO role? Is that something that you try and tie in? Do you think, do you think risk is something that you, a CMO has to take to be a good CMO? No, I don't. Um, I think it's very individual and it's also based on the kind of company uh, companies that you work for. I think there are some, you know, obviously financial services, uh, some software, you know, taking risks in marketing can be really dangerous, sometimes leading to things that could be even illegal. So um, I don't think it's for every one or for every industry. I've worked in industries where it's been, uh, 
permissible, I guess I should say. And I've always been a person who likes to take risks, not for the sake of taking risks, but because I know that it would pay off for the brand. Um, and, you know, just doing something creatively different, unusual, provocative. Uh, those are the things that interest me in marketing. And since I've always been in industries that allow that, um, you know, for now 30 years, I've, 32 years, I've been doing marketing. And mo- most of that has been in industries where we can take some creative risk. So if, we, if you were to pick your top three best creative risks, what would they be? Like, what would be your, your biggest career highs in terms of marketing actions that have been risks that have really paid off? And then maybe we can talk about like mm. how you sold those ideas to the board as well, because that's one of the yeah. big things. Like Having these ideas is just the start. You've then got to sell it to the rest of the stakeholders in the company. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I would say the first big risk I took was back in the 90s. I, I started in high tech um, in 1988. I started at, at Microsoft and I was there for six or seven years. And when I left, I went to some other startups. And one of these startups was called The Mountain Zone. And it was one of the first websites dedicated to uh, mountain sports and um, putting up scores and, and race results. Uh, back then, you just couldn't get this information. If it was mountain sports that were not on uh, a sports channel, you would never know who you know won the mountain bike circuit uh, in Italy that that week. So we were bringing uh, mountain sport news. Uh, and entertainment to the web at a very early time. So this was like 96, 97. Um, And one of the things we wanted to do was the, you know, the first live simulcast of uh, Mount Everest expedition. So we wanted to uh, get a local climber who we knew was going up with a group and get him to be able to uh, use, back then it was satellite phones, to report uh, back both uh, with audio and with video and photos. And so in order to do that, we needed um, some funding. So I went to uh, an old coworker at Microsoft and pitched Microsoft Explorer, which was then a browser. Um, I thought that was a nice synergy uh, with this kind of expedition. And so I asked them for some money and and they ended up sponsoring it. Uh, and we were able to do this this live uh, stream from Everest. And that was the year after the big debacle on Everest. Uh, that was one of the deadliest years. And John Krakauer had just written a book about it. And so it was very risky to involve our company and a company like Microsoft and uh, and then a climber as well in this. Um, but we just made sure that everything was really dialed in Um, You know, the one thing about risk is that it makes you focus. And I think people who rock climb or fly or any of those kinds of things uh, know that, you know, when when there's danger involved at that level, you you have this singular focus, uh, which I really like. And it, it makes you really pay attention to all of the details. And that was really, really successful for us. Um, that was something that sort of put us on the map. We were in the New York Times. We were um, in a lot of different publications and and uh, newsreels. We would actually put up information that would then be um, published by uh, other entities on the web or on TV. So that was exciting. I would say the you know the next 
maybe it was the next decade, I was working for a company um, that made high-tech performance gear for the US, U.S. military. So every soldier got four of these, you know, shirts that we made um, when they went um, in theater, as they call it, in combat. Uh, and these were super high-performance flame-resistant gears. So most flame-resistant gear in the past um, was bulky and uncomfortable. And, and we made something that was uh, more akin to, like, climbing gear. It had a lot of stretch and recovery and comfort and uh, sort of this hybrid design. So in order to market that, you know, when you're marketing to soldiers or the military, they sniff out anything inauthentic immediately. And so we wanted to do something really authentic. And so I hired a um, uh, Oscar-nominated documentarian filmmaker who was going to embed with a troupe. And uh, we hired him to get a bunch of footage and put together a little mini documentary, mini story on some of the soldiers that were wearing our gear. And we decided to tell the story through the eyes of medics um, because they're there to help, but they're still, you know, in the most dangerous situations. And so he followed uh, this, um, this certain medic troop and, you know, helicoptered down into live firefights and rescued people and, and along the way um, took a lot of footage of, of these medics talking about how this gear really changed the way they do their jobs. And that was incredibly, incredibly successful because we got so much good video, still photos of, you know, the garments in situ. Um, and uh, then DuPont, who makes the the Nomex, the fiber that is flame resistant, uh, contacted me about using some of that footage uh, for their own marketing. And they paid us handsomely. And, and that year, uh, marketing became a profit center for the first time, which is interesting. So there is a way when you create great content, there's a way to monetize that brand, that branding. Um, and then I think the most, the most recent big risk was uh, this activation I did with uh, Work in Progress, which is a local ad agency here in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and we did the world's um, first pop-up shop uh, on the side of a cliff, so the highest pop-up shop. And we did it uh, here in El Dorado Canyon, really high up on one of the most famous big walls here for climbing. And it was literally a, a pop-up shop um, built on a portal ledge. And, uh, you know, we had the Colorado Mountain School do all the rigging. We knew it was safe, but still to ask our, uh, you know, it was actually our VP of sales who was in there minding the shop because he had spent 10 years as a Teton um, climbing ranger. And so he, he thought it was the best two days of his life, but I thought it was pretty risky to uh, put him up there on uh, on a ledge. And then anybody who climbed up to to the shop could get a uh, an Adidas jacket or a pair of wrap socks uh, and, you know, keep climbing. So the whole activation was around getting you the gear you need most when you need it. And that was really, you know, uh, pretty dangerous. All three of those were pretty dangerous situations to put people in for marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not just dangerous in terms of like you're taking a risk with some new strategy. You're actually putting people's lives 
I don't want to say in, in danger because that sounds a bit too severe because I'm sure you did like take into this is all calculated risk, but that's still like an extra yeah. hurdle that you'd have to communicate to the board, like to the the, the money men kind of thing. Like it, you, it's not just like, oh, we're taking a chance on this new strategy. You've also got to ensure these people and that's just an extra cost. Like how did you go about pitching that idea to begin these ideas to begin with? Like how did you convince them that, that this was a calculated risk that was worth taking? Yeah, there are definitely people in the company who are going to hate this. So anybody who has to deal with insurance is going to hate you if you're risk-taking <laughs> CMO. Um, but I think the the most important thing, obviously, is to start at the top and to get buy-in and to really explain what you're doing. I never want to do something for um, for just a stunt, right? We don't want to do things that, that feel... Um, like they aren't authentic to the brand. Everything that, you know, all of the risks I've taken have been in service to the brand. And so when you can sit with the CEO and uh, the executive team and explain why this is important and why what you're doing will cut through the clutter. And that's, I really think the most important thing here is cutting through the clutter. That's what we need to do uh, with risky marketing. Um, and, you know, it, it, it paid off in, in the end, all of these things were quite successful and the Cliffside shop, uh, won a can, um, advertising award, actually three different can advertising awards. And that was up against some behemoths like Google and, uh, Delta airlines and Heinz and these companies that literally spend hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing. Um, and, you know, so to compete in that arena, you have to cut through the clutter. So if you can convince your executive team that this is, you know, a good idea and why and what, what you know, what's the business case for it? How will this increase sales or increase brand value or brand equity? Um, then you pretty much have them control the people who deal with insurance. So, you know, it's, you get buy-in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose one advantage with sort of like these risks connected to these particular brands is that the people you're marking to take risks, like they're, they're mountain climbers, they're soldiers in combat situations. So it's sort of like practicing what you, what you preach when it comes to the brand, I suppose, like it's showing that you're putting the gear through the paces as a way of, a way of showing the people that you're marketing to that it's worth using. Is, is there a case for when you take risks and you don't necessarily have that kind of target audience? Like, is it worthwhile or is it just better to play it safe in that situation? Well, again, I think it depends on industry and the uh, the appetite that the CMO has for risk. I've um, I've never wanted a job more than I wanted to do what I felt was right for the brand. So I was willing to either get fired or leave a job. Neither ever happened. Uh, I never had to do either of those. But I really, you know, I am the kind of marketer who who wants to do these kinds of cut through the clutter activations. So you asked also about um, activations that might not be completely in line with our target audience. Um, because you're right, the, you know, everything we did was, was squarely uh, in line with either climbers or um, soldiers. 
And uh, we did some other things like um, we were launching a betting line at 37.5 Kakona, which is a thermal regulating technology. Um, And so this was a market where we didn't have a lot of customers yet. And we took a a pretty big risk then. It was right when Trump uh, was first elected. And while we had many customers who were in uh, law enforcement and military who may have supported Trump, we also had a lot of uh, um, sport and outdoor customers who maybe didn't. So we wanted to walk a fine line there. But we did this activation where we sent uh, Trump a set of betting um, with a sleep well Trump message saying, you know, we, we want you to do your best in office and this might help you sleep instead of tweet because this was when he was up at two and three in the morning tweeting. And, and so we thought that was a good a good opportunity to talk about how important sleep is. And uh, so that got some some interesting reactions, too, it was very successful. And then we also did a uh, we had some customers in uh, cycling, but we wanted to broaden that. And this was also a 37.5 technology, thermoregulating technology. And we had just worked with the a university to prove that it actually increased human performance, um, much like doping did. So we thought we should, at, when the Tour de France started, launch this campaign called Dope With This. And so we uh, were trying to convince people to dope with the clothing. But the whole messaging around it, the visuals were, you know, blood bags. It looked like we were really selling some sort of performance enhancing drug. But it turns out that what we're selling is gear from one of our uh, one of our cycling um customers that would actually improve your performance as much as uh, a performance enhancing drug had. So that got a lot of attention because it's such a touchy, touchy subject in cycling. Um, So probably the most negative attention um, I've ever gotten on, on a campaign was around that, but it provoked a really important conversation um, because you know, for everybody who said that we need to not talk about doping in cycling, there were the others saying this is the biggest thing hindering uh, our industry right now is, you know, who's clean and who's not. So it opened conversation and uh, was very provocative. So it's a, it's a way of, yeah, as you say, opening up a conversation in a way that you, it's people looking at a brand initially, they might not think like, oh, this is a great way to start a, a great thing to talk about but opening up that conversation through this risk um was that something that you planned to do from the outset were you expecting that kind of negative reaction or was it something you'd prepare the board for absolutely we were prepared for that um and in this case my ceo jeff bowman was spectacular um he likes this kind of provocation and he likes uh responding to it. Um, so any of the, uh, more, you know, vitriolic, um, messages we got, he would, he would handle, uh, and he enjoyed it very much. He enjoyed being provocative. So it does help to have a, a CEO who is energized by that kind of, um, situation. So you've mentioned your career path as well. Um, we touched on it briefly, 
Do you think your willingness to take risks is tied into, you're willing to take risks in marketing activities? Is that tied into a willingness to take risks in your career? Is that, are they, do they go hand in hand, do you think? Yeah, I think some people have, you either have a propensity for risk or you don't. Um, there isn't much middle ground there, I don't think. So I've always been the kid who like jumped off high rocks into bodies of water. And so, you know, I was uh, always had sort of a propensity for, for risk. And I think that also shows in my career too, because I've had a lot of, it has not been a, a straight line, you know, from starting in high tech marketing and PR. Um, then I went to Landor. That was my only uh, foray into the um, the agency side of marketing. And I just really missed um, controlling a brand message. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think as marketers were world builders and, and you came up through writing too. I was a copywriter to begin with. So you understand that, uh, you know, it's all about building a world. And that's why details are so important um, when you're building a brand, because you're you're creating an entire universe around that brand. Uh, and, and that's really thrilling for me. And that's why, you know, plugging these activations into risky activations into the brand and making sure they really feel like like a room in that house, not like a, you know, mansion down the street. Um, that's an important component of what I love to do. Um, so then, yeah, I went back to in-house marketing. Um, then I took some time off and actually wanted to be a, a writer. So wrote a couple of uh, young adult adventure novels and then went right back to marketing because that was not <laughs> all it was cracked up to be. Although it was quite fun to you know get an agent and sell books and be translated and, and all of that. Um, so I went back to to marketing and uh, moved from high tech into uh, textile and material marketing, which I've sort of been in since then. Um, but yeah, after that first uh, foray back into textile marketing, I then uh, moved across the country for a different job um, with the thermoregulating technology and then uh, hopped to uh, antimicrobial yarn technology, and now to chargers. So there's been a lot of uh, zigs and zags. And I think it just, uh, I need to market things that I'm enthusiastic about. I think that enthusiasm sells. And so if you love your product, if you love, if you're interested in what you're selling, um, it's just going to be so much more authentic. And you can really um, build out that world that I'm talking about, that brand world, uh, in a way that people want to come visit and hopefully come live. I mean, yeah, it's just, you want it to be an exciting world that people visit and live in as well. Like, well, depending on the product, you don't want to be like interesting times is always a worrying thing, I suppose, with worlds, but like, yeah, you want, <laughs> you don't want them to be overly familiar because a, a journey that's overly familiar is not one you remember it's the exciting twists and turns along the journey that you remember um so i think that's probably the biggest advantage with these sort of like marketing activity risks but going back to the career path side of things mm -hmm. do you think like the willingness to take those kind of like those calculated risks in your career path is that a skill that you developed hand in hand with taking the risk or is it like, did you, did you take the risks first in the career path and that gave you the 
sort of the willingness to take the risks in the marketing strategies or were they always just sort of like tied together? No, I think you're probably right. If I reflect on it, it was taking those risks and realizing that, you know, what's the worst that can happen when you change jobs? A lot of people don't want to change jobs. And, and I think it's uh, just super interesting and it keeps life fresh. But yeah, I think that I didn't start taking bigger risks um, until, you know, the second or third job hop. Uh, And then also, you know, you can't, when you're low level, you can't really do a whole lot risk taking wise. Um, So when I got in to managing budgets and managing people and being able to, to manage programs, that's when that, that risk taking started, I think. Cause I, th- I think at the time, just for people listening at the time of recording, we're in Q2, uh, 2021, a lot of, a lot of countries are starting to move out of the pandemic and looking forwards to like life beyond COVID. And I think a lot of people are going to be thinking like, is now the time to take a risk um, with a career path? Is now the time to make the jump into an industry that they've not necessarily worked in before, but they're passionate about? Or maybe they want to play it safe. Like, do you have advice for people who are about to take those kind of, uh, are considering those risks? Like, what what should they think about? What should they consider in their career path in those terms? Oh, I think you should be true to yourself. I think it's I think it's really dangerous to be risky if that's not something you're comfortable with um, because it will just keep you up at night. You know, uh, in some people that creates a sense of focus and purpose. And that's what risk does for me. Um, it helps me really focus on it and, and make sure that every single detail is right. But if you don't have a propensity for risk, I would never uh, suggest that you you know, start trying to do risky activations. There, there are so many skills that I wish I had, you know, deeper experience in. There's so many CMOs who are sort of coming up from the analytics side uh, versus the creative side that have so much to, um, you know, so much knowledge and, and uh, can bring so much value to a CMO role. So again, I think it's just so individual and I would never, ever, ever tell people to start taking risks unless they were comfortable with it. And also you really, you really have to feel deep down inside that, you know, doing what you're doing is more important than having a job that doesn't allow you to do that. So again, it comes back to, you know, I've never wanted the job more than I wanted to, um, make the brand successful. And if I couldn't do that in the way that I thought that was most um, uh, effective, then I was willing to either leave or, you know, be told to leave again, that neither ever happened. So I'm lucky in that regard, but you do have to have that mindset of, um, you know, I'll, I'll find something else if, if this isn't the right place for the kind of marketing that I'm known for. Was that, was that a philosophy that you made clear with the the rest of your team and the rest of the board that you were working with in these different companies? Um, like, did you tell them from the outset that you were here to take risks and like, if the risk didn't work, you'd walk? Or was it just something that never, never, <laughs> never. In fact, I'm, I probably shouldn't even have this on uh, a <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but I doubt they'll be listening. But um yeah, I would never, 
say that. I don't think ultimatums are effective at all. And I don't think that, I think it comes off as I want this job because I want to take risks and I want you to pay for it. That's not my intent. My intent was, and I don't have ideas that I want to execute at different companies. It's really a a product of that world building. So as you're creating a new brand and launching the brand and and thinking of all of those details around the, the brand, that's when these things naturally bubble up. Um, and they just happen to be risky. Um, I think there are a lot of effective ways to market without being risky. But in my case, um, maybe because I have a propensity for it, those are the kinds of things that I think about when I am world building uh, for a brand. And you know what I'm doing here at Chargers is, I can't quite talk about it yet, but this is something completely different than anything that they have been known for in the past. And and I didn't come to this job even with a preconceived notion of this. This bubbled up as a result of trying to build this world. So um, I don't think it's effective to tell people that you're going to walk if you can't do something or it's just always in the back of my mind that um you know, the, the freedom to do what I think is best for the brand is most important. Uh, and so I might tell a prospective employer that, but I would never say like, hey, I'm coming here and I'm going to take some big risks. <laughs> yeah, my way, or that, my way or my highway kind of thing. Exactly. That's just not very respectful. Yeah, well, I suppose it's because as marketers, the purpose of our job isn't to cover ourselves in glory. It's to enhance the brand. And it's when like... You can't take risks for risks. You can't be chasing awards, even though you've managed to win a few awards with some of these risks that we've discussed. Like that's not the purpose of the activation. It's not the purpose of the activity. It's to enhance the brand. Exactly. And, you know, it was, it was really effective in the case of 37.5. Those activations like the uh, uh, dope with this and the go to sleep Trump and the cliffside shop. Once we had, uh, that was over maybe a year and a half that we executed those. And then we did one in, in Europe on the Rip Curl snowboard tour that was really cool. Um, so we did this series of activations because it was a brand new brand name. We had launched the name 37.5, um, which sort of speaks to uh, thermoregulation and the, and the ideal body temperature, core body temperature and, and uh, humidity level. Uh, so there's a lot encoded in that, but we needed our brand partners, this is an ingredient brand, so uh, apparel makers would use this in their um, in their gear, and then we wanted them to promote that it was 37.5. Well, you can't just go in and ask somebody to spend their money uh, to promote your brand unless you're doing things that are interesting enough to capture their attention. So, you know, we had brand partners all over the world from, you know, Solomon to Rip Curl to Burberry to um, PBH, Calvin Klein, uh, companies like that, Carhartt, um, companies that had deep pockets uh, for marketing. And we wanted to get them to market our, our technology. 
And once we started doing these activations, we saw an enormous turnaround in the amount of money that these brands were spending to promote the fact that their gear had or their apparel had 37.5 inside of it. So this included TV commercials, um, three of these brands to use pro athletes, uh, you know, to to talk about the product. Um, we had virtual reality pop-up shops in, in Asia. I mean, they were doing some incredible things. And by the time I left there, we calculated that our brand partners were spending between 20 and $25 million a year promoting the 37.5 brand. Wow. That's an exponential uh, increase of what I spent on those activations. But, um, you know, marketers read publications, they see what's happening. They see, you know, what Adweek reports on, um, what the drum reports on. uh, And when they see this in publications like that, while the goal isn't that we want to get an article in in Adweek, that does help if you are in an industry, B2B industry, where, you know, you are selling something that is an ingredient brand, like an Intel inside, and you want your, your brand partners to actually spend their money promoting your brand. So that kind of, that, you know, that was a 20 to 25 X time, what I had in my budget to spend. Um, so it was incredibly effective. Almost like a snowball effect kind of thing. Like this one well-placed activation, like just kicked off. I mean, maybe an avalanche would be a better term. I don't know. Like just like this one (laughs) right noise in the right place kicked off this huge chain reaction. Is that, is that the big yeah, advantage of taking was, a risk? Yeah. I think so. And, and you have to be consistent, um, but not tell the same story. I mean, in the, in the fact of uh, 37.5, it happened to be very, um, uh, there's a variety of uses, right? You could use it in bedding, you could use it in sports, you could use it in clothing for comfort. Um, so we had a, a lot of different audiences to play to. And that's why we did different things like Dope With This and the Cliffside Shop and the um, Go To Sleep Trump was to hit various different audiences. But in doing that, when all of those activations are provocative enough to get coverage in um, in trade media, ad trade media, uh, then all of your, you know, the people that, that I was working with, all of those people are seeing like, oh, wow, they did something else. Oh, wow, that's very cool. You know, what can we do with that brand? How can I think outside the box to do something really unique? Um, and so we had, it, it was a great time because we had all of these brand partners coming to me saying, hey, we want to do something. Can we brainstorm, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And there were some incredible things that came out of that, um, just sort of this creativity snowball. So I don't know if just one will do it, but if you if they see you do two or three and see that, that the work is consistently good and non-stunty, uh, again, can't stress enough how it just can't look like a stunt because that's just so inauthentic. It really has to be authentic authentic to the brand, um, then if you're in a B2B business, then then your partners are going to want to work with you. And I suppose as well, getting that kind of coverage, it's good for a, like talent attraction as a CMO. If you're building a good marketing team and you're getting that kind of co- coverage, people are going to want to work for you. 
they're going to want to work for the brand for sure. Yeah. I don't know if they want to work for me, but um, they <laughs> definitely, uh, yeah. When you see the the kinds of risks that, and that's, you know, speaks a lot to the CEO too, um, because the CEO, that's where it starts and stops. If the CEO shuts it down, then, you know, you're never going to get those kind of opportunities I had. Um, but yeah, it is much easier to get great talent when you can show a portfolio of work that the the brand has done. That's interesting, provocative. Awesome. I think, I think that's a good note to end on, on there, Christy. Um, maybe one last thing. Um, any final piece of advice on how to go about taking calculated risks so, so we've said risks a lot but it's really it's really calculated risks isn't it like what what's your mm-hmm. thought process and how you approach the risks uh, these calculated risks both in terms of your career path and the strategies you activate within brands well i think we should rebrand risk because uh the executive team hates the word risk so if we could rebrand risk as being bold um I think that's more effective. So I would encourage marketers to be bold to the extent that is comfortable to them. Um, And uh, there's a great quote by Dorothea Brand, act boldly and unseen forces will come to your aid. So again, it's all about that, that focus. When you do something that takes a, a great amount of boldness, you'll notice that you get this extreme focus. And, uh, I think that's super effective for, uh, for marketing. Um, yeah. So I would say let's, let's talk about it in terms of being bold and think about maybe what you could do to, to just notch it up one. You don't have to go from, from two to 10, but if you can just think about taking your marketing up one notch in terms of boldness where it's still in line with uh, the brand promise. It still feels like it fits within that brand world. Um, but it's just, you know, a notch above and see how comfortable you are with it. Some people are going to get juiced by that and are going to want more and more and more. And some people are going to say, no, not for me. That was, it was uh, too nerve wracking and, uh, and back off of it. So I do think it's incredibly uh, individual and also um, in terms of what industry you're into. Perfect. Thank you very much, Christy. And thank you listeners. We'll be back soon with more CMO combos. 